Hey everybody, it's Will from Whiskey and Freedom Co. Head over to whiskeyfreedom.com, pick yourself out some apparel, and help us support mental health issues. 22% of our profits will be donated to the Till Valhalla Project. Support the cause. Here we go. Three, two, one. How long have you been in the Navy? Oh, me blow me life. I'm Jamie Britt. And I'm Heath Britt. And together we are E14. We have 40 years of naval service. And each week we discuss a potpourri of topics, which we like to call smoke pit topics. These are real world topics that concern us, our marriage, and our Navy with a sailor twist. So join us each week as we dive into the deep end. Booyah! Hey everybody, welcome back to E14 Podcast. I'm Jamie Britt. And I'm Heath Britt. And together we are E14. And today we have with us... We have Lieutenant Jose Ramirez from Medical Department at Special Boat Team 22. Thanks for being with us, Joe. Thanks, it's an honor to be here. Appreciate it. Before we get started, this is our last episode for our part uh four-part series to hell with the stigma and mental health awareness so uh the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of our own and not united states navy or our respective command you know what that means right go ahead y'all can take it or leave it <laughs> so loud when you do that it's important <laughs> all right so go ahead let's start us off yeah so uh it's been a while since we've done a podcast i know yeah actually you know we just moved and we got this new studio and this new setup and this is our you're our very first guest in our new studio awesome congratulations so if we're rusty (laughs) so if we're rusty please forgive us guys because it's been a couple weeks Mm -hmm. we got to finish this series up so we can move on to bigger and better things yeah so uh hey lt tell us a little about yourself man so I've been in the Navy 27 years. I started out enlisted, uh, E1, foreman. I went, uh, I was an ortho tech. I was a sub IDC, crossed over to the PA community. In the PA community, I deployed uh, three times, all with SOCOM, one to Afghanistan, two to Africa. Um, and now I'm just working on transitioning out, retiring right. soon. Oh, nice. Right. I want to say something about uh, LT. He's a humble guy because he was at HMC. And he talks a lot of smack about being a J.O., but he provides a lot of leadership in that medical department over 22, man. I yeah. appreciate it. You do a, a damn good job. Mustang. So Mustang J.O. is a little different than the normal J.O. Right? Oh, yeah. But he talks shit about he's I'm just a J.O. <laughs> <laughs> you know, after being a chief, it's good to do the old shrug. Like, hey. I don't know what I know. (laughs) That's my favorite thing about being a first class. What do I know? I'm just a first class. (laughs) So I would definitely say from being a a submariner and also being your tours to uh, the Persian Gulf area and then your NSW experience, you've seen a lot of stuff in your time. Am I wrong to say that? No. um, Yeah. Well, you're correct in saying that. So on the sub, we had a really high mental mental health rate. Um, I remember... My first year on the sub, I had 40, I think it was 46 or 47 guys uh, go to mental health, and I had to get them off the sub in the first year. We were coming out of the dry docks. Um, around that time, we had a couple suicides. Then um, uh, as a PA, we had 
lost some guys over in Afghanistan. We actually had our CO shoot himself out there oh, before Christmas. And then a lot of mental health issues uh, on the backside. And then coming back to, I was stationed out of Bell Chase when I got pulled as an IA to go to Afghanistan. And uh, then I was doing out processing over at the Groton, or Groton, I'm sorry, Gulfport uh, from people coming back from deployments all over the world. So I got to see that part of it too. And that's where I kind of realized that everybody has a different trigger. Um, some it's combat, some it's not combat, some it's stress related. There's so many different facets to mental health that people don't understand because they're just looking at it from their perspective. Well, I went through it and I'm okay. You or mine was tougher than yours. And that's not the case. Everybody's different. Everybody's an individual and you have to just figure out what makes them click. Right. That's true. And I had that, I had that thing not too long ago. Well, I had all this happen to me and I'm fine. Mm -hmm. But then a lot of people that I held a lot of respect for had issues and they told me about it. And, and then I realized, Hey, it's, it's on the individual. Cause maybe what I went through wasn't the same what they went through. Maybe if I went through the same crap they went through, maybe I'd be in the same position. So it really meeting all these great people has really opened my eyes. And then, you know, I had my own stuff, as you know of, and, and it really opened my eyes a lot. And it can happen to anybody. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a, it's hard to pinpoint one certain thing for anybody. So, you know, as a leader, you have to step back and understand that just because you can take it doesn't mean somebody else can take it or because they're taking it doesn't mean that you are able to comprehend and undergo the same stressors that that person is. They may be handling it better than you and you may need to be the one that needs the help as a leader. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And you know what I've noticed, like you said before, sir, there's no isolated incident that you can pinpoint that says this is what's going to cause mental health issues. So everyone has different family lives. They come from different backgrounds. And so for years and years and years of dealing with whatever it may be, rough neighborhoods or, or, you know, uh, you know, parent issues. And then on top of that, they have these things that the military, you know, different situations that the military provides for us. You never know when that straw is going to be the one that breaks the camel's back, you know? Absolutely. And, and I may be getting a little ahead of myself here, but that's the whole purpose. When we do a site evaluation on somebody or they, uh, come in to see us we start back well tell me about your childhood tell me about your mom and dad tell me you know where you grew up what was your child did your mom's dad get divorced you know did you lose any family members things like that so we have to go back to the very basic bottom line the base and build our way back up to see how all of that affected them on top of what they're going through now all right definitely before we get uh deep into this conversation i'd like to take a break uh from a word from our sponsors is Vice. Request permission to entertain the audience with a limerick. A limerick, you say? Entertain us, you shall. If you want to make money for your show, get off your ass and search for Podgo. A simple way to make some cash and get a sponsor for your podcast. Apply online is all you do. Then Podgo will reply in a week or two. Is it really that easy? Well, if I did it, then it must be so. Type P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. One more request, if it pleases, the vice. Okay, fine. Proceed if you will. For all who request a Podgo account, 
Tell Them E14 podcast is how you found out. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the E14 podcast. I have with us Lieutenant Joe Ramirez from the SBT 22 medical department talking about a little mental health. So uh, LT, I want to start off by just asking a question. What's kind of the science behind what causes mental illness in the brain? So I'm going to touch the wave tops on this. Mental, Perfect. mental illness, right? That is how you um, cope and comprehend with different behaviors or scenarios that you've been experienced in your life, I should say. And then your mental health is how your brain structures, uh, your chemistry, all of that functions to help you cope. It's a coping mechanisms. There's a couple, there's some hormones and neurotransmitters in the brain that actually help regulate and adjust you. And if you have a chemical imbalance like that, or, you know, somehow over time, the stressors are too much of this neurotransmitter or hormone can send you into a more of a stress situation, anxiety, OCD, whatever it may be. So the basic hormone that we have that kind of everybody has, well, everybody has all of these, but that you use all the time would be norepinephrine. And what that does is it mobilizes the brain and body. It helps regulate your blood pressure, keeps you focused, your alertness, and that's through your body all the time. Norepinephrine is both a neurotransmitter and a hormone. So just depending on how you feel and how you uh, act and react to things, increases and decreases your level of that. Also, you have epinephrine. Epinephrine is a hormone that, you know, it causes muscle contraction, it regulates your blood pressure, your heart rate. It's a stress response hormone. And that's where you get that fight or flight. You get put in a situation and you have to make a split section, uh, split second decision. That's where you kind of decide, am I going to fight or flight or what I need to do? And that's your epinephrine. So, you know, you always hear, I get a boost of adrenaline. Well, that's what we're talking about with that. Mm. All of these are working in the brain. The ones we see most, most of the time um, or that you hear about most of the time in mental health is dopamine. Dopamine is a reward uh, neurotransmitter. It's released by the neurons. And that's one of those to where, you know, you have something good happen to you. Your body kind of goes to an emotional response because you have an increase of dopamine. It makes you happy. It makes you better. Um, and the last one that I'm going to talk about is serotonin. Serotonin regulates your mood and your social behavior. So um, when we talk about that, that's a neurotransmitter that's in your brain. And if you have too much, you know, you can, or too little, you can result in anxiety, OCD, depression. That's where that chemical imbalance comes off. And that's where a lot of our medications that we use in mental health are uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. We bring down the serotonin or we bring down the norepinephrine. And that's where you hear the terms SSRIs and SNRIs or the medications we use. But all we're trying to do is regulate those chemicals and hormones in your brain to make you have a better response and be able to cope a little bit easier. So I have a question because you mentioned that, you know, we, we always have these hormones and all of this stuff in our body, but how come sometimes our, our, our hormones are, uh, get imbalanced or like, how, how can we be fine one time? And then all of a sudden the imbalance happens. Okay. Good question. So as we get older, your body changes, of course, as you're exposed to something, you know, I heard in a couple of, I think it was, um, drive on on the drive on podcast mm -hmm. where he talked about you live under certain amount of stress and you have talked about it too when you were in Djibouti that you were always waiting for something to happen 
right? Well, you get that stress reaction and your body's constantly pushing out that much fight or flight epinephrine or serotonin or, or decreasing your serotonin, your body starts to get out of whack. It's kind of like one of the things, you know, when we talk about, about like using steroids for medical treatment, right? Guy gets sick, he comes in, he wants a, a dose of steroids because he knows he's going to make him feel better faster. Well, if we give you so much of this stuff for so long, your body realizes that you have this exogenous steroid and it shuts down your adrenal gland. So if you were to stop that, then you would go into adrenal crisis. The same thing kind of happens. Um, again, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I'm not digging too deep into that because I'm a, I'm a family practice guy. But, you know, when you have so much of you're always on alert, always on alert, or your body changes, your body adapts. It adapts to what you're going through. And when you're doing this for seven months or a year or six months even, um, your chemicals, how much they're producing changes because your body adapts to that. And then you come back and you just can't go overnight back to where you were before you went. And your train of thought changes. You start having these dreams or you start, you know, being on alert when you walk into Walmart, where's the exit or on the highway where yeah. I can't be around these other cars. All of that brings back those responses and you don't mean to do it, but your body's already adjusted to that fight or flight response. And, and it brings your levels all out of whack compared to say your spouse or your significant other who's sitting next to you. That's like, what is going on? You know, and they don't understand it because your body's just reacting. You've trained it to go there. That's interesting. Wow. So these people that have uh, some, some sort of mental illness. So when they walk into a Walmart, like you said, and they're freaked out, it's just because their chemical balance is jacked up in their head and they need something to regulate it a tad to get back to normal as possible. It could not all the time. Now, some people just, as they get older, their bodies adjust, they don't produce enough serotonin, they overproduce serotonin, just like you would if your thyroid was out of whack or, or, you know, something like that. But from a military standpoint, what I see happening most um, is, yeah, you get accustomed to doing a certain thing, just like you do every day, and you're doing it 18, 20 hours a day on a deployment, you come back, you just can't turn off those natural responses that you've adjusted to and how you function and your body reacts. And that's why you're always kind of going to that, that irritable stage or, you know, that alert stage because your body's reacting without you knowing it. It's, it's trained. You, trained you know, it's so funny. Heath and I were just talking about this because we were talking about our kids and um, you know, them on the video games and video games, video games, video games, and their minds are going a mile a minute. They're watching YouTube, they're playing, they're using their hands, and then they're on this video game going through all of this stuff, right? And so we were talking about the effects that it causes on school because then to go sit down and talk with a teacher. It, or just have the teacher there in front of him. It's like, this is so slow. And we were saying that that is our military minds too, because we used to going a mile a minute during the day, you know, we may do like 10 tasks before zero nine that most people can't even imagine. And then when you have to go and wait in a line or, <laughs> or just, you know, in civilian life, it just seems so slow and so we are constantly training for this like hyper speed yeah definitely because if i go to a restaurant there's more of a more than a 10 minute wait to get a seat i'm leaving Forget unless it. there's a bar for me to sit at but i'm leaving <laughs> right and, and i mean even not just in a deployment scenario but think about Heath, when you go to work right you're always moving and shaking and yep. i gotta go here and this phone call's coming in here if you go to the civilian sector which i'm finding out now 
Um, I'm the same way. I go in, I do vital signs on my patient. I do this. I walk around. I talk to people. I'm worried about COVID. I got this report to do. I've got that report to do. All of these things going on that you have that they've added on to us. And you're so used to that's what we do. And you get out and you're getting paid to do one single thing. And again, it's kind of like we talked about in the past. When guys get out, they have so much time on their hands. And now they start thinking more or they're bored. Yes. And when you, I know for me, you know, coming back, I'm used to working, working, working. And I'm having a hard time with going from working and multitasking to doing one thing. And now I have all this time and I get irritable and, you know, you just get, aggravated easy and why this should be easy but you have to retrain your body to go back into or your mind to go back into that hey this is what happens on the outside but you know we've become accustomed to do more with less and that means just work 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 right bust your ass until you can do more with less because it just takes ass busting to do a lot of all stuff of those little stressors are adding to you oh, i got the stress of i got to get this report out by this time so-and-so called and he's a skipper. I got to go up and fix his computer. That's a stressor yeah. in the day I didn't have. I got yeah. this guy. I got, you know, all those little stressors add up. And before you know it, your body's reacting and your brain's reacting. And those stress, that's where it comes, you know, people that have never been to come, ever seen anybody die, hopefully, um, that do suffer from stress, anxiety or stress, you know, PTSD, you know. Because right, they're not used to working that way. Right. Yeah, I can definitely see that because I'm I'm noticing now since my tempo is kind of winding down, you know, due to probably retiring soon, that that I was like, I got all this time on my hands. Yeah. He's like, I gotta go to work. I was like, for what? You got two chiefs, <laughs> two chiefs, and they don't want yeah. they probably don't want you in their business, you know. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and I remember back in 2000, 2004, 2005 when I was on subs, we would kick guys off the sub, you know, they could be young, they could be old, but we used a diagnosis that wasn't even in the DSM at the time called adjustment disorder. It's now been put in there, but we were calling people adjustment disorder because the normal people don't go, normal civilians don't go through what we go through. So to adjust to that, and you cannot adjust, you know, you're 18, 20 years old coming in and just being bombarded from the left and the right and the top and the bottom. And everybody's asking you to do something and work till you, the work's done, not go home, you know, on normal hours and they can't adjust and they lose it. They start cutting themselves or want to commit suicide. It's an adjustment disorder. They're not, it eventually leads to depression, but they just can't adjust to our world. Right. So for our listeners out there, uh, LT, what is DSM? So that. That's the manual we use that has all the psychi uh, psychiatric diagnoses in it. Great, great. Mm. So, so adjustment for, disorder was not technically a diagnosis back in the day, but we would use it. Okay, got it. So for our listeners, if you hear thunder, we're in the middle. Me, us, and Lieutenant live probably 20 minutes from each other. So we're here. There's a lot of thunder in the background. So if you hear it, we're going through a little storm. It yeah. came from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, why is it that people are are so um, reluctant to, to ask for help with the, uh, with mental illness, because I can get it. It's not like a broken arm. You can't see it. And it's hard to test for. It's not like cancer where you go take a test for cancer. Why is it? What, what causes that? Is it because, I mean, what's the deal with that? I mean, that's kind of one of my favorite questions that, that I get asked. Um, it's because, you know, we're in a macho macho world, right? You're in the military. You're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to be yes. tough. And that's just the way it goes. Whether you're female or male, 
um, it doesn't matter. You've got to step up and you join the military. You're here for a reason. Um, but people don't want to look weak. You know, back in the day, we had this huge stigma, especially around NSW, but subs as well, that uh, you didn't want to look weak because the one minute somebody says, man, I, I really need to go talk to somebody or maybe not in that words, but they're like, I'm having a tough time or they break down or they cry or they get have a little stress reaction, you know, people just start riding them really hard. I mean, think mm -hmm. about it. You've got certain types of people in the military. Some can emphasize or be empathetic to people and others can't, right? right? Others are like, just get the job done. They're all about the mission. You know, they're looking at, hey, we've got to get this done no matter what. And just because they sacrifice themselves for it, they expect everybody to do it as well. And those are the guys that, you know, if I say I'm weak or not that I'm weak, but I need help and I go to mental health and then I got to miss, uh, miss work for appointments, then I become the guy that's not pulling his weight in there. And then I get mm -hmm. the lower eval. And then, you know, the next thing you know, I'm not getting promoted and then I can't re-enlist. And it's just a, it was a downward cycle back in the day. It's getting better, um, but there's still that stigma out there depending on what community you're in. And I'm going to be honest, every community is different. Subs is different than... NSW from surface, from hospitals, from, you know, admin, it, everybody's got their own thing. And it's just how much work you have is who's pulling their weight and who's not is, you know, the go-to guy. Yeah, I understand that because it, and then even like you said, in the macho military world, we mentally, uh, we mentally, uh, what is the word I'm thinking of? We're headstrong. So like if you're running and you're running and you're running and you're like, I'm going to do one more mile, you mentally have to, to overcome that. Not so much your body, but mentally. So we get such in this mode of mentally overcoming the suck and mentally overcoming um, the long hours or the no sleep or whatever. And so then when we say, I can't handle this situation or I feel like anxiety or I feel this way, it's, it's like, well, I just got to mentally overcome that. And then if you can't, that's when you feel weak or, yeah. or you feel like, come on brain, you know, let me go. Right. right. And, and think about it like this. I, it took me a while to get to this point and everybody has a change, but that person that comes in and you ask them to knock out something in the work center and they just lose it. It's not because you asked them to do that. They may be having a sick spouse at home or mom may be in the hospital or they're financially strapped and they wreck their car and they can't buy diapers and formula for their kid. And that was the straw that broke that person's back. Right. Mm -hmm. But all you see is, wow, I asked them to do this one thing. Whoa, they're weak. You know, I can't have this guy in my work center. It's easier to work without him. And then you write him off because you still have a mission. So you have to step back and it takes a while to get to that point as a leader, or you have to be around it enough where you're like, this can't be what is really going on. There's something deeper. And that's where, you know, we talk about being leaders. You have to know your people. Mm -hmm. You have to, you know, you can be intrusive. You can call it intrusiveness, definitely leadership. Um, you know, all the terms we use in the Navy, but every one of your guys is different and you have to get to know them on a level of what makes them tick and what's going on in their family. And maybe you don't know them like that, but you have to stop and say, what is going on? Pull them to the side. Don't just lash out at them and be like, hey, this is due in 20 minutes. Okay, it can be late or whatever so that we can figure out what is causing this person to cry or break down or 
you know, huddling a ball in the corner, whatever it is, because I've seen it all. I've seen, you know, first classes on the sub go into the fetal position. I had a cook tell me one time he would disappear right in the middle of chow and come back after an hour. We couldn't find on a submarine. We couldn't find this kid. I don't know oh, where wow. he was. And he'd be like, I just needed a good cry. I'm like, what the heck's good? And I mean, just crazy stuff. So yeah. um, people lashing out, hitting other people. It's, it's all underlying stress, a bunch of different stressors possibly that you have to dig into and figure out what is going on with this person. Mm. And these, this is subs before females. So these are grown ass men stressed yeah. out beyond, yeah. you know, yeah. they could it's handle. A, mental illness doesn't, it doesn't play care. A, a gender. doesn't care. Yeah. No, so was this no. a fast attack or a boomer? It was a fast attack out of ground. That's really small. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's really so small. We had a biggest crew was 209 guys. And like I said, you know, some of these guys take about 18 months to get qualified their watch station as nukes. And I lost 46 guys in a year. 46 oh, shit. guys. Gosh. Wow. So, wow. Damn. So I that's just fortunate none of them killed themselves. Right. Right. But, you know, you had the skipper with his issue. Was it the skipper or the XO you said earlier? Oh, well, this was in Afghanistan. This oh, was Afghanistan. The CO. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think, and tell me if you agree with me, LT, but I'm thinking the whole weak stigma, right, around mental, mental illness comes from not being able to visually see the problem. It could. It could. Uh, I think it's more of they're worried about, what everybody's going to think of them, especially in, in the, you know, the SOCOM or the small community level, or they're worried about their clearance or their money. And all of that plays into, if I go to mental health, they're going to pull my clearance. If I go to mental health, the other SWICs or SEALs or, you know, Rangers or ODA are going to look at me differently. You know, all of that plays into a part when the reality is, I would say that I know on the sub, it broke me a couple of times. Uh, NSW has done the same. So I would say that, you know, at least 60, 70% of people have the same thing, especially if you've seen any kind of, you know, deployment where you went out and did something or lost somebody or somebody committed suicide. All of those people are just hiding it because, you know, they just don't want to be that person. And they're or they're waiting they're for not- the end of their career. A lot of them, you know, get bitter and mean as they go. And then the end of their career, they want to go see psych and try to un let it all out and release it at that point. Right. You know, we, we asked, we had uh, Chief Hager on in, uh, Herget, sorry, Herget, Herget, Herget on. Yeah. And one of the, the uh, myths that we thought was that you're not deployable once you both see mental health. And so that's a lot of the reason why people don't go and, and get treatment because they think that they'll be non-deployable or that, um, you know, they won't be able to do that. Do you see a lot of that? So I do see a lot of that in the small communities, uh, but I will tell you that if you get help, we get waivers for you. I mean, that's the way it works. Um, In the surface community, there's a lot more people on SSRIs or psychotropic medications to go out on the ships and stuff like that. But when you're in a sub and you just don't have anybody but an IDC and you could be three days from nowhere, we really regulate what you can be on. So there is a different opportunity, you know, situation but those guys can transfer over to the surface community right they still get their deployments in yeah and in nsw you know we have people on psychotropic medications whether it's adderall or zoloft or you know 
you know, in Prozac, whatever it is. And as long as they're maintained it for 90 to 180 days without changing their meds and they're stable on it, we get a waiver and we get them back out there. Yeah, that's good because a lot of people worry they're not deployable, then that's going to affect them. You, you were a chief, you know, then boards, right. they look at stuff like that. How right. many deployments did you do and all that? So, and the board doesn't know what medicine, that's HIPAA. They can't know what medication you're on or what, what mental condition or any kind of health conditions you have. They just know, are you performing or you're not performing? Right. And we send uh, those waivers go all the way up to BUMED and BUPERS for approval. So once it's done, it's done. Unless you have a new incident and we have to get a different waiver. But once you're set, it affects your whole career. You're, you're good for the rest of your career as long as you're on that medication at that, at that dose. So everybody listening, everybody listening, you can get help and mm -hmm. you can still do your job and you can still promote. Absolutely. I recommend that if you're feeling any kind of overwhelming stress or anxiety or depression or anything like that, go talk to somebody, get the help. Cause uh, it, it's good. Even if you just talk to somebody, it's going to help you relieve that. And it's somebody outside that doesn't know you doesn't have an, you know, vested interest in your chain of command. They're there to listen and give you behavioral techniques to help you get over that hump. And so when you mentioned that NSW and, um, and NSO, they can take these medicines. What about like your air, your aviation, those in flight status, you know, they can't take any medications. Right. So that's kind of, I think I'm not in the aviation community. Um, I know they're regulated just as hard as subs are because subs, you can't take psychotropic medications either. Uh -huh. um, so again, like I said, every community has their own little knickknacks and I would have to ask somebody in the air community but I know they're really, pilots are really regulated, air crew are really regulated on what they can take. I mean, we can't give them Benadryl or, or simple stuff that'll make them drowsy before they fly or we gotta do a downshit on them. Um, right. But I'm not 100% sure on that. But my, my train of thought is if you're at that point to where it's affecting your life and I get it, you have a career but your life and your family, because you're not the only one that's feeling it. Your family's feeling it too. Your family, yes. your kids, everybody has that. Just because you think that you're hiding it, you're not hiding it. You know, talking to the, I, what was the senior chief ETCS from the sub? The one you did the first one on? Oh, oh he was at ETC. Yeah. Yeah. yeah ETC. Forget. And then I, from the drive on guy. You know, all of them, both of them said your family feels it too. Cause if you're irritable, yeah. if you isolate yourself, you know, your family's going to be, Hey, why is he going through this? Okay. Let's give him time. But the reality is then you feel like you're pushing them away. So it just builds and builds and builds. So, you know, your career is one thing, but when your career in the Navy's over, your family still needs to be there for you. So I recommend anybody having issues, go talk to somebody. Yeah. And not to mention the people you have, uh, control their lives you're flying aircraft or you're controlling aircraft a lot of people rely on you to do your job or they die so if you're Man. having go ahead that's why we have the aviation docs and the sub docs and the you know spec op docs and everybody knows their field so once you go talk to that person and they put you in contact with mental health or behavioral health or whoever you're talking to whether it's a psychiatrist psychologist a social worker they're going to explain to you the hey yeah okay you're getting some benefit from behavioral techniques and, and modifications to your lifestyle or to your actions. And we can't put you on this medication right now because you're in this status. Here's what we have for you. They're going to work with you and try to get you. And if it's in your best interest to be put on a medication, then they're going to have that discussion as well. 
There's no medication that any of our guys get put on that they don't have a say in. That's good you have know. a say That's in awesome. every medication, every surgery you do, unless it's an emergency surgery, but your shoulder hurts and you need a surgery and you don't want to do it right now. And the doctor's like, we got to do this. You don't have to do it right now. if It's not an emergent life or death surgery. So you're going to have input on your career as well. Yeah. I know I've talked to a lot of guys that retired that uh, saw a lot of, saw a lot of shit in their, in their day. And they said, well, we got these drugs. Cause look, I don't want anything that's habit for me or anything like that. And they'd be like, Roger that we'll give you this instead. Mm-hmm. You know, it's up to the member. Yeah. Or the person Absolutely. dealing with it. It's a team. You, you right. and that position are a team at that point. Right. And you have honest, frank talks. And there's been times of like, nope, I'm not doing that for you. You're asking for this. Nope. But I can give you this. Or I'll tell them, well, I recommend you go on this. And they're like, I don't want that to affect me. And I'm like, well, yeah, it could affect you. We'd have to get away. I don't even want to go down that process. What else do you have? Okay, this is what else we have. So that's good to know. You have plan A, B, C, you know, and you can form it or you can cater it, tailor it to that member and their needs and their wants and their career. And it doesn't have to go through your chief or your, you know, your lieutenant or your commander or anything like that. The only person that has the authority besides medical to know what's really going on with you is your commanding officer. Right. Wow. And that's on a need to know basis. And if he wants to know how many people are on psychotropic medications, we tell him because he's overall responsible for you and the command, but the XO doesn't need to know the CMC that we give them, you know, we'll talk to you. I'll be like, Hey, you know, I'm going to, is it okay if I go tell the CMC, you know, your senior chief, he's master chief. I want to let him know what's going on with you. I'm not going to bring up any of your private stuff. I'm just going to tell him we're starting you on a medication. You know, and, wow. and you say no. I'm like, okay, well, just to let you know, I have to let the CO know if he asks. But other than that, or if it's going to be a detriment to the command, if I'm going to lose. Right. Right. That's good to know that. That's HIPAA compliance right there so that you're covered as well. You don't have to tell everybody in your shop what's going on. Now, 90% of the time, the guy comes back, tells everybody in the shop what's going on, and then you know, everybody knows, well, that wasn't my fault. No, no yeah. Once you say something, it's not hip anymore. <laughs> yeah, you told everybody. I didn't tell everybody. Right, right. Definitely. So we're going to have to wrap this up soon because I'm afraid we're going to lose electricity. Oh, it God. is nasty out there. But no, sir, we just thank you so no, much. No, I got one more. I got another question, oh, though. Oh. I'm not done yet. Oh, I thought one you more question. Yeah. Wrap it up with one more question. So you've been in Navy 27 years, like we talked about. So from... From 27 years ago, you know, young HN Joe Ramirez to Lieutenant Ramirez getting ready to retire. When it comes to mental health, how's the Navy, uh, how's it evolved. evolved from back then to now? Would you say in a positive direction? Absolutely. So I, I could tell you just on the last 10 years alone, I've seen no one in NSW want to go to medical because it was a stigma to people are actually asking for help. Everybody, you know, they understand that this, even if we're not in a wartime scenario, they're getting put through, they're trained to kill somebody for two years and then they go, or 18 months and they go on deployment. That's not natural either, right? No, no, hell no. (laughs) Um, So, but I've noticed in my time in NSW since 2014 or 2012, actually, um, more people are going out and talking to them and it's okay, you know? They get the talk. Sometimes they just need to vent. Sometimes they get put on meds and then they get back to their careers and their work even stronger. Um, so I would say that, yeah, absolutely. I've had chiefs come up to me. I've had E1s, E2s. 
I've had officers, captains. Is if you ask for help again, it's kept at a confidential level between you and your provider. And most people are okay with that. And they go and they know they want to get better because they enjoy doing what they're doing. And they're just not mentally in the right place at that time. And once we get them stabilized, they get back to where they were and they're happier, they're healthier, uh, their overall mood, their family life becomes better. Everything reverts back to where they wanted to be, where they were. And then would you say most of the time, those members that do ask for help, do they feel happy about having gone to seek help or, or do you ever see any negatives or positives with that? Um, every now and then you'll see somebody that's not happy with their psychiatrist or psychologist. And what we do is refer them to a second person and get them out for that one. But for the most part, honestly, what I see is those guys going back and now they have the tools to identify it in their, their peers, their shipmates, whether they're what unit they're with, and they talk to their own guys about it. It's just the communities help each other out once they have that education and that knowledge and they know that when they go down that path, they're not going to be punished, you know, they're getting back and they can get back to PE valves and where they were. And they try to spread the wealth and help help their shipmates out. That's great. You know, it's weird when you say when you say that, man, that when people, you don't realize what you do until somebody says, look, you do this, this, and this. We don't do normal stuff. Absolutely. We're not, we're not doing, when you, when your parents as a little kid, they never say, well, I hope you get trained to kill somebody for two years and then go to the point for, for six months. It's not normal for us to, for us. And there's other people out there that aren't military do, that do stuff that's not normal. So it's okay to get help and it, it will do nothing but work for you in the, in the, uh, and the end. Right. And I think you guys are reaching a huge platform and bringing this to the, to the front, you know, and it's helping so many people because there's going to be people out there like that ETC that you interviewed that are helping other shipmates out constantly and people that hear his story or hear the drive on guy's story or see what they've been through, or even your story, Jamie, of when you were in Djibouti and they're realizing, Whoa, I'm not the only one going through this. And look, they've made an avenue so you're bringing it out to a whole bigger population that's going to help so many more people. So thank you guys for that. Oh, man, our pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, man. I'm, I know this is not your thing. And for you to come on, no. that really is humbling. And I really appreciate it because you did an outstanding job and explained it at a level for everybody to understand. Yeah. I think. Thank you so much, thank man. This was such a good insight and a lot of things that I didn't know. And I hope that, that it helps like we said, if it helps one person, it's worth it. Definitely, yeah. definitely. We're gonna we're gonna wrap it up with my my friend Lieutenant Joe Ramirez. Yeah. And uh, as and, always, we wish you fair winds and following seas. Mm -hmm.